The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. A live button, which is why she is a happier person than I am. <laughs> Click. DNF. <laughs> and we're live. It is. What is it? It is Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021, 5.01 p.m. And uh, this is the first uh, show of the rest of your lives uh, as are all of the In Lieu of Fun show, but this one in a particular and very sad way, which is that today is the first day in many a moon that we are doing the show live without Tony Kava. And the oh. reason is not that Tony Kava has a breakthrough infection, which he does not, not that he is dead in a ditch somewhere, which he is not, not that anything terrible has happened to Tony Kava, Stop which it has not, <laughs> but that Tony has gone back, back to work. And uh, in lieu of fun, does not air at a time that is convenient to work on the West Coast. And uh, so we are uh, uh, starting the show today with a special shout out to Tony Kava, who is in fact a baby penguin. And um, uh, is going to, uh, I'm sure, listen to this show later. And so uh, we will have a, uh, Tony, for you, we have an inaudible round of applause from the Greek chorus. Um, here it is. There it was, a round of applause from the Greek chorus uh, for your uh, uh, devotion to the show over a long period of time. We are not allowed to have fun anymore. And so we create games to serve as proxies for fun. And they get ever closer to fun as we refine them. And the game, Where's the Lie, is uh, uh, one of my favorite proxies for fun that we have come up with. And when I tweeted at a bunch of former In Lieu of Fun guests that they should tell stories on Where's the Lie, the estimable Right Honorable Sarah Bond responded, as I would hope all guests, former guests, would respond, with a promise of a raunchy, bodice-ripping story from antiquity involving the life and deaths of Roman emperors. I have no idea if this story is true or even what it contains, um, but for, uh, for those of you who require trigger warnings, I am informed reliably that this story does involve sex, and if that's the sort of thing that troubles you, you should uh, probably watch a different show. We will be back tomorrow, so it's not like we won't be here. Um, we are going to uh, put up the important poll question, is Sarah Bond lying? Yes, no. And as always, you can uh, change your vote at any time. You can also uh, uh, join the conversation if you have questions with which to interrogate Sarah Bond. Note it in the Ask a Question box, and you can be part of the interrogation panel. But there is one thing you cannot do on Where's the Lie. You cannot use Wikipedia. You cannot use Google. You cannot real-time fact-check. You've got to do this with your own heart, your own head, figure out whether Sarah Bond, classicist at the University of Iowa, the greatest classics Twitter, the, the master of classics Twitter, is bullshitting or not. Sarah, welcome back to In Lieu of Fun. The floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Hopefully everybody can hear me pretty well. And I, I'm just delighted to be here all the way from Iowa City where I'm back in my office and we are starting school here in just a few weeks. And uh, all, 
all of us are a little little nervous I'm not gonna lie so this is a nice respite between all of the workshops and syllabus finishing in between and I'm teaching a class in the in the fall on slavery in the ancient and modern world um, and uh, you know, this is this is going to be a, a very intense semester, especially since um, the legislature not so long ago passed a law, um, like many legislatures across the country, um, regulating what can be taught in certain classrooms and what can be said. So I, I think there's a lot of apprehension in terms of the pandemic um, or global pomegranate, as Classics Twitter has called it, um, and uh, and also because we're just not really sure what a lot of these CRT laws um, that, that have been passed are, are actually going to mean for those of us teaching in the classroom about social justice. So I'm here absolutely to have fun. I just kind of wanted to, to put out there as well that there are some anxieties that, that perhaps we are, are trying to filter into some fun uh, because of the impending semester and the augustness of it all. You know. <laughs> so I just want to go. I have one question before we start the game, if that's mm -hmm. okay with everyone. And you have to lie to us or tell the <laughs> truth, as the case may be. Um, the first thing is, are you wearing a chainmail necklace? I am. This, uh, <laughs> oh my god! This comes from a, a dear medievalist when when I was teaching at Marquette, and uh, there is. Uh, I think a lot of strength in wearing chainmail, especially as a lady, because we didn't normally get the opportunity awesome. to do I it. I used to make chainmail, and I support all kinds of making of chainmail. Did you I think really? I, I did, yes, and I yeah. still know how to do tedious. it. tedious. It is, I used to call it my knitting, and, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's... Um, it's actually super relaxing. You do cut up your fingers a little bit, um, and... Um, but it's it's great fun, and it actually goes faster than people think. And uh, I um, I still know how to do it. It's not very hard. And maybe one day on in lieu of fun, we can have a chainmail uh, making uh, uh, workshop. Yeah, I have a good friend named Greg Aldrete, who's a professor at UW Green Bay. And bullshit. He... No. <laughs> <laughs> He is. He has a whole room in his house just for armor. And um, he is the world's expert on something called the linothorax. The linothorax is what Alexander the Great wore when he was going through the Near Eastern areas of the Persian Empire and going to Tessaphon and things like this because it's so incredibly hot. You can't wear a metal cuirass. You need to wear linen. So basically it's like 12 plies of linen on top of each other and it can stop arrows. Um, he has a he has a it's whole like book. Yeah, he has a whole book from Johns Hopkins University Press that he did with his student at UW Green Bay, and they shot arrows into his students, which is like a dream. That's it's awesome. Like, you know, I have <laughs> a few students. I've often I, I've I often like wanted to, to shoot students with cha with arrows too. Yeah, I love my students. Never would do that. that no, I. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, <laughs> No, it's it's amazing. Reconstructive archaeology, like making train mail and making a line of thorax, uh, is incredibly impressive and so important because uh, a lot of the things that we are told about the ancient world need to be stress tested. Like they need to be kind of looked at in in a more holistic way. But but also it's just super fun and it gets people involved. And you know they remade rabbit glue for this to put the linen because the linen has to be glued together in order to make it. So, you know, archaeologists are cool. Um, awesome. But, yeah, I, I mean, Greg is, is someone who is very inspirational to me because he writes about, for instance, how riots functioned in the ancient world versus today. Um, but also he brings me to, to my subject of the, of the story today um, because Greg and I have sat many times at bars in Madison and talked about Julius Caesar and talking about how biographies, um, of Julius Caesar. Can you hear me? Okay. 
uh, how biographies of Julius Caesar actually leave out a lot of things that people don't know about him. They don't really underscore, especially uh, the sex life of Julius Caesar. Now, if you fast forward to Julius Caesar's um, love of cuckolding, um, which is something that's very well known, that uh, one way to get back at his political persons that he was in competition with within the Senate was to sleep with their wives. And of course, you know, Caesar's wife had to be herself above suspicion very famously. Um, but when it came to the wives of the people that he was rivals with, he really got his rocks off by sleeping with the with the wives of, of people that he was competing with for the consulship um, or or that were trying to keep him from getting certain magistracies within the Roman Republic. And I really think that this love of cuckolding and this, this love of sexual competition is something that we can trace all the way back um, to kind of his early years. Because I think it's important to really underscore that um, there are male and female relationships uh, and then there are male and male relationships and, and female and female relationships in the ancient world. But this was something that was much more embraced by Hellenistic cultures um, and, and within Greek culture especially. But Julius Caesar is born in 100 BCE and he goes out uh, as a young man because one of the first things that you have to do within Roman history as part of the cursus honorum, which is to say working up the ladder um, to get to various magistracies, is you need to have military experience. And so one of the first things you do is serve as a military tribune or just go attach yourself to a certain legion in a certain area in in order to get that military experience. So at the age of about 20 years old, he goes out to this area that was called Asia at the time. We call it Asia Minor. Um, this is the area of modern day Turkey and Syria. Um, and he attaches himself to a, a Roman general that is living um, out there and has a, a fleet, a naval fleet at Miletus. Um, and he decides that that he also is is going to uh, learn about the military world um, by visiting various Hellenistic kings in the area um, and he goes to to visit uh, an eastern king um, and he actually uh, kind of interns with him as an apprentice um, and back at Rome there were a lot of rumblings about what exactly was happening there um, because he was staying a whole lot longer than he had told his family he was actually going to stay um, and uh, there were people who were calling him uh, later the Regina of Asia, that is to say the Queen of Asia, because he was staying so long at the court of this uh, Eastern King. Um, and even though Caesar never really addresses it, there is a lot of evidence and implication that um, he may have had very much uh, a sexual affair with men as well as women in his younger days. Um, and a few years later, uh, he decides that, that he's going to take kind of a, a grand tour around Asia. He's about 25 at this time, um, and he actually gets captured by pirates. Um, the pirates are a, a very endemic problem, especially in this area of Cilicia. Um, we have the Black Sea area, which was seen as kind of the playground of pirates, and, and also this area in and around Asia Minor. And Caesar actually gets taken captive by pirates um, and taken onto the boat. And one thing that we are told by the author Plutarch is that um, initially the pirates actually want a ransom for about 20 talents. And a talent is probably in the neighborhood of $1.5 million. So multiply that by 20, and that's what they asked Caesar's family, a very old uh, family that, that is connected to the first families of Rome. And Caesar mocks the pirates for only acting asking for 20 talents. And he's like, dude, I'm worth at least 50 talents. You have got to ask for a whole lot more um, because I'm worth it. And you guys don't even know who you've captured here, um, you know, while, while I've been on my big foray and then around this area of Asia. 
And uh, they they actually get along really well. Um, Caesar uh, is is giving poetic kind of narratives, and they're singing. They they have a very jocular relationship. He gets along with his pirate captors in a in a way that they're having a lot of fun on the boat. But eventually, his family does pay the ransom. Uh, essentially, the lower ransom, I think, is is the one that that uh, his family, the Yulii, actually end up paying. Um, and Caesar is freed. And Caesar returns back to the the fleet at Miletus that he had been attached to now for so many years. Um, And even though he doesn't really have any military power, he gathers everybody together in the area that are Roman soldiers. He gets um, a boat together along with the help of um, these Hellenistic kings who are in the the area because they haven't been turned into Roman provinces yet. So they're all ruled by individual rulers. Um, And he goes and finds the pirates um, in this uh, that are still kind of sitting along the coastline he finds them and he said I told you I would crucify you and you guys laughed at me and now it's going to happen and so all of them were arrested and taken to a local prison um, and Caesar made good he actually uh, crucified all of the pirates and got revenge even though he had kind of been playing games and and uh, reciting poetry with them only uh, a few days earlier. That's the way I deal with my enemies. <laughs> you got to keep them close. And uh, so eventually Caesar at, at this point is is about... It's, the, it's not personal, it's business thing. <laughs> you right. hang out when they've captured you, you... You know, you do your, uh, you sing songs around the campfire because you've got nothing against them personally. But then when it's time to show your constituency what you're made of, you know, that's what crucifixion is for. I, that's exactly what Crassus would say only a few years later when he uh, lines everybody up on the Via Appia um, following the Spartacan Rebellion in 71. So we're talking about only a few years before the Spartacan Rebellion happens, which starts in 73. Um, and uh, so crucifixion, big in the late Republic, is what I'm saying. And uh, so Caesar uh, undertakes this. He gets back on his boat and he goes back to Rome. Um, And there are forever rumors that he has had an affair with an Eastern king. There are forever rumors um, of what happened aboard the pirate ship. And this all adds to the mystique of Julius Caesar and adds to the cachet really he has culturally when he gets back because he's just the talk of Rome from everybody. And uh, how he uses this is to become the edile for the city of Rome that is to say the person that puts on games becomes extremely popular even though he goes into major amounts of debt um, and and really uses a, a lot of these um, odysseys and, and crazy events that happened in his earlier um, 20s that we all have and, and the parties that he attended and the people that he ran into as fodder for dinner parties forever after and a way of wooing women into the future. So that's the story. So so I have a question about this, Mm -hmm. or I have many questions about this. Um, First of all, when the the cuckolding of rivals as a form of political humiliation, was this seduction of their wives or rape of their wives? Is the idea that there is what's the message that he's trying to send about rival that his wife likes me better than she likes him? Or is it that there's nothing he has that I can't take? Right. From all of the accounts that that we know, this act of cuckolding was about willing coercion. Um, Now, Julius Caesar owned a number of enslaved women, and when he goes to Gaul, I know that he engages in a a lot of mass genocide, and so I can't say what that type of sexual violence was and whether it was rape or not, but in terms of the stories that we know about his cuckolding, he absolutely enjoyed just um, trying to secretly woo his rivals' wives and sleeping with them and then kind of whispering to his rivals in the Senate, you know, basically like, I fucked your wife. Like, guess what? 
I fucked your wife. Super mature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, I don't think it's. I think some people engage in cuckolding as um, as a kink, like as something that they like to do, like knowledge of, of their wife. And for Caesar, he's weaponizing it as a political way of saying, like, you may think that you have the upper hand, but I have the upper hand and I had sex with the thing that you hold as the most pure in this world. And, you know, Roman ideas of marriage are very different than our modern ideas of marriage, but there's still a premium that is put on a woman who has chastity and pudicitia, we call it, uh, somebody who is seen as very chaste and, and kind, like like the Gracchi's mother or something, you know, like the the, the Gracchi's mom is seen as, as the, the woman that you, the upstanding woman who only has sex with one man her whole life. Um, so Caesar wants to just take everything from his political rivals, including um, their subjugation of wives, sexual ability. And is it is it the case that, uh, just to finish this line, um, is the idea to that it be public or that it be something that it be whispered in the Senate, you know, I fucked your wife, um, or is it the idea that the public should know that, you know, not, you know, Julius Caesar didn't just subdue Gaul, he didn't just write the Gaul diaries, he also, you know, <laughs> you know, fucked so and so's wife. Yeah. I- I think it works on both levels for Caesar is that internally within the Senate, it's going to work to try and make his rivals insecure, um, to, to try and imbue within them this idea that, that Caesar can get to them on any level. But externally, rumor is, is something that is really powerful. And we see this in Homer, right? Iris, this idea of rumor is, is something that is very potent within Greek and, and the Roman world and today. I mean, the new Gossip Girl has already launched on, on HBO. And, and I think we all know rumor has a, a potency within Washington, D.C. today as well. Um, but, but yeah, I think it works to Caesar's advantage for him not to say anything publicly, but to have his proxies and to have those clients, the clientes that he has going out and saying things like, oh my gosh, can you believe that Caesar um, slept with this person or that person or, you know, cuckolded uh, Cato the Younger uh, essentially by sleeping with his mom? I mean, let's, I just want to, I, can I, is it time? Can I ask the question? Can we ask questions? Okay. Why do you think we wouldn't believe that? They did all kinds of weird stuff. There's like the the myth of vomitoriums. There's like the uh, uh, there. Well, I guess right there, that's a myth. That wasn't true, right? Right. Or the vomitorium. Not, right. The vomitorium. True. I'll send you an article I wrote about it because what my role in classics is is to like people say cool things and then I'm like that's a myth. Um, and and then I write about it, and then people read about that, and they go, "Oh, I guess Ex- it was a except guess about it was political a cuckolding." That's true. Yeah. That's true. I mean, but like, th- I I just <clears throat> I um I feel like this is something that the leader of one of the greatest and largest like republics would have been like. This would be a good way to get stabbed in the back, is basically what I'm also saying. <laughs> like, um, which reminds me that I have to buy you one of these uh, pencil holders, Sarah Bond. <laughs> that is uh, these these pencil holders, which are, are these little, uh, yeah. So, um, but anyways, um, I love it. Yeah. So, but uh, okay. Now, okay, that was that was fair. Okay, that's fine. I'm. I'm just going to ponder some more. I will say that vomitoria, just for those who don't know, it's actually a, a way that um, areas of the Colosseum were described as vomiting out people. Um, that uh, We don't know of any actual room for vomiting, but um, Romans did occasionally make themselves purge after large feasts into normally just like little bowls or something, but there's no room within a house that we know of that that is explicitly (laughs) for purging yourself of food that's that's terrible and i'm 
I'm sticking with the mythological version because yeah, I like that better. It, it was in it, it was in the facts too good to check department, uh, and I I don't appreciate your checking us on them. I um, will say that. Have you ever heard of a vomlet? Oh, oh no. that's foul. Kate. No, I, no, <laughs> I have not. Do I want? It's also a myth. It's a myth. It's not true. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Genevieve, do you have questions about this story? I have a, one logistical question to start. Um, w- did he go to Gaul prior to him going to um, Asia Minor? Because I always, age is very confusing to me <laughs> in no. ancient history. <laughs> no, so. he doesn't go. Uh, he doesn't go really until about his mid-30s to Gaul. Mm-hmm. So this is early on in his life. This is in his raging 20s. This is his rumspringer, right? <laughs> He's... He's out there. He's doing things. He's living life. He is Caesar. Um, he comes from a very well-known family, but it was a family that had fallen out of kind of um, as much power as it used to have because it was it was attached to his great uncle Marius, um, and Marius had had fallen out of political favor due to Sulla. So um, Julius Caesar really wasn't the Caesar that we know of after he comes back from Gaul. Um, he wasn't at that wealth level yet, and he also wasn't at that political potency um, that, that he would later have. So the Yulii were a well-known family, but but um, in your 20s, it's common for Romans to just go out there and live your life for a little while and sometimes get captured by pirates, and that just happens. And can, I, can you remind me, um what kind of pirates these were again? I'm sorry, I'm having brain fart. Yeah, these are Cilician pirates. So okay. Cilicia is a, an area uh, to to the Eastern Mediterranean. And one thing to know about why pirates proliferate is because trade is very common in the ports in the area near Rhodes, um, in, in the areas of the Black Sea. And what happened after the collapse of, of Alexander the Great's empire is there's just a vacuum of power. Um, and so there's not one military that's ruling over this area because we have the Seleucids who are imploding. We have a, a lot of different Hellenistic kingdoms that can't all control the fact that there is no one group of policemen that can actually police the Eastern Mediterranean. So there are all of these pirates that that are really going to be proliferating and that eventually the only person that can get rid of the pirates is Pompey. But Pompey isn't going to be sent in for another 20 years uh, to get rid of the pirates in the East. So the pirates are still a problem at this time because Pompey has not come in and kicked some pirate ass yet. (laughs) For which he became Pompey the Great. I mean, he's called, uh, he, he wants to add Magnus to his name, and who among us does not want to be Magnus or Magna? I That's mean, right, and and, and in your us? case, the Colossus statue uh, <laughs> yeah. is uh, is coming. Um, Genevieve? Um, I'm going to reserve my third, if that's okay. All right. Yeah, so I'm going to reserve my two final ones for after Daniel. And okay, I have, I have... One more. It seems to me this story has three elements, and could the truth of it could founder on any of the three elements. And I just want to make sure we're identifying the elements of the story correctly. The first is, did Caesar go to Asia Minor in his 20s and have a rumspringer that may have included... Uh, various uh, uh, male male relationships uh, that were the talk of Rome. The second is, did he uh, get captured by pirates and uh, try to negotiate up his bounty and then um, uh, um, in like a, you know, the equivalent of Biden dealing with the ransomware hackers, um, uh, I hope, uh, crucify them all. And the third element is, did he use cuckolding as a fashion of, as a form of political humiliation of his rivals? Are those the three major, like if any of those is false, the story is false, and if all three of them are true, the rest is detail. Is that is that 
That's I uh, all of these. I think I'm going with with all or nothing. Even though I, I I do think that ancient sources obviously can be very hyperbolic. I can be hyperbolic. Um. So, but but I'm just saying that. Uh, you know, we we only have so much to to go on because Caesar's memoir to us, um, which was you know written in part by Caesar and by others, is a, really about Gaul and then about the war in Egypt. The Bellum Alexandrinum, um, and and then also about the Bellum Africum. So, um, so, so like yeah. in the memoir. Okay, I'm going to use up my second question. In like, how do we know that he whispered this to other politicians? Did he drop like footnotes, like in like the like, the memoir when he mentioned said politician was like fucked his wife. Like, like, got that we, one. Got we have a, a lot of later biographies of Caesar. So Suetonius um, writes the lives of the 12 Caesars, and, and uh, there are a lot of great translations. I think Mary Beard has a, a new translation that's coming out soon if I read from Princeton Press. But um, there are a lot of su free Suetonius um, translations as well. Suetonius writes the lives of the 12 Caesars. And the first one is Julius Caesar, but we also have Plutarch. He writes a, a life of Julius Caesar um, because in Parallel Lives, which is Plutarch's writing style, you take um, a Greek life and you pair it with a Roman life. And together those two lives throw into relief certain morals and values and leadership qualities. Um, and so uh, Plutarch and Suetonius are, are big people, but then we have contemporaries telling us things like Cicero. Um, we, we have writings from a, a lot of people in the late Republic that are mentioning Cicero uh, and his letters, for instance. And Cicero's letters, he talks a lot of smack. Cicero is not somebody who is a fan of Caesar. And remember, he's going to eventually die and be killed by, uh, by Caesar's adopted son slash great nephew, which is Octavian. So Octavian, remember, is pissed off at Cicero for a reason. Okay, so I'm going to use my third question here. Um, so what we're really testing here is not in absolute terms whether the, whether the story is true, but whether some, some or other ancient sources contain it or whether you made it up. Right. Because, I mean, Suetonius isn't exactly the most reliable... Uh, source in the world and and Cicero could be bullshitting and just talking smack so the the test that we're really applying here is did Sarah make this up or is this attested to by some or other ancient source is that fair that's very fair I think that we have to all kind of understand about the ancient world that about 90 six to 97% of everything from the ancient world is gone. So we have writings and we have archeology, span but that probably only represents like a very small piece of the larger iceberg. And so ancient historians are fiction writers. What we do um, is fill in lacunae. And so historical fiction is really our expertise. And so I, I don't know if I'm a 100% historian or if I'm, I'm more of somebody that just has a, a vivid imagination that relies on the scaffolding of facts. All right. Mr. Ducks with Pants, E.G. Phillips, you get three questions. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, my primary question seems to have been um, this topic of discussion already as far as the reliability of these historical sources, given that a lot of it seems to be propaganda one way or the other, either puffing up one's reputation or doing everything possible to tear somebody down um, for the historical record. And you know, even things like the Aeneid are all propaganda when it comes down to it. So um, I also am at somewhat, I feel like I, I, I have people, I have somewhat of a leg up on this as I am a Latin scholar um, <clears throat> of old back in high school. So um, let's see. So you know Are that we... all Gaul is divided into three parts, like Czech, correct? I mean, it sounds about right to me. That's the, that's mean... the first line of the Bellum Gallicum is very famously like 
All Gaul is divided I mean, into in, three in parts. In fairness, the last thing I read in Latin was the Latin translation of Winnie the Pooh. I don't think I covered oh, these. I have it. I have it over here. It's called Win Winnie Ile Pooh. Yeah. Yes, it's um, it's quite. So when you say you have a leg up, do you have a, a strong instinct about whether uh, whether this story is true or false? Um, I, I I I do feel I have a strong inclination. Um, let's see. I mean, would there be any basis to uh, perhaps a TV series claiming that a warrior princess was among the pirates? <laughs> uh, there, there are are, are definite uh, insinuations. Although this is oftentimes like kind of a, a later addition um, to to um, this myth uh, of of Julius Caesar that surrounds him. Um, that that really. There are there are women in the East who rule over Hellenistic kingdoms that are client kings, and there are also women that engage in combat because they are part of royal houses um, as well. So um, I, I think Adrienne Mayer uh, lays this out most directly in her work on the Amazons, um, is like how to separate Amazonian fact from fiction. Um, and there's a lot of blending, especially within this area of the Mediterranean, of like which ones are Xena warrior princess and which ones are more real queens like Boudicca, right? Like, uh, well, Boudicca is not in the East, but yeah. you know, uh, sorry, like of, of real uh, female monarchs versus just um, women who are fighting oftentimes as um, as as people who are paid mercenaries. Um, other questions? See. Other questions. And I don't know, in terms of picking apart, I guess, the uh, the reputational aspects of things in terms of um, Caesar's uh, conquests outside Gaul, shall we say. Um, uh, yeah, who, who are the most famous among his said, said conquests that he uh, reportedly cuckolded? Yeah, excellent. Names, 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 names. 2,000 years will not, um, will not erase the, the the infamy. Uh, whom did he cuckold? Uh, well, uh, I think that, that I'm, I'm going to have to like pull up the, the actual names at, at some point after we uh, chat. But I think the most famous of them is depicted um, in HBO Rome. Um, if you watch the, and I have the DVD set over here, um, and, uh, and, and this is Cato the Younger's um, mother which is the, the implication is that um, he had had essentially been sleeping with her in part because um, she is his political rival's mother. Um, and they had a history that went back longer, but um, most of our sources tell us that they are sleeping together in part because um, it really gets to Cato the Younger um, that, that this is happening. No, no. All right. What's in it for the mother? Because I, I understand what, what Caesar gets out of this arrangement, but uh, why does mom want to humiliate the son by sleeping with his political rival? Good time. Um, I, I think that uh, what you get out of this is, is just this reputation for virility. Um, I think that there was the, the same rumor that gets attached to um, Brutus and his mom as well. Uh, so this is, this is something that, that I will have to, to get a list of all the women that have been cuckolded um, because I don't know. Uh, a lot of times it's not the actual names of the women, sadly. Um, it's, you know, referred to as like the wife or the daughter or the um, various women attached to various men, right? So um, I, I am happy to, to put together a, a more extensive list of people being cuckolded uh, after we chat. But most of these um, women are, are only implicated in terms of their position as attached to men. <laughs> 
All we, right. We get a lot more more power for women um, and front and center uh, it, once we have Octavian, I would say, going forward. Even though Julia, who is the daughter of Julius Caesar, is married off to Pompey in order to create a, a marriage alliance, um, a lot of the women that we think of as, as kind of the most potent within ancient Rome are connected to the Julio-Claudians really from Octavian going forward. Yeah, the women of the Julio-Claudian dynasty is like an amazing story um but it it's later than this so uh ducks with pants you have one more question um did we get a number on the total number of pirates that got crucified in the end of this whole story oh a total number of pirates that's not actually given to us in the sources we're told how many days in between actually being you know the ransom being paid um and then him going back and that's 38 days we have 38 days between actually the ransom being paid caesar being released and then him being like you know what fuck you i'm coming back and i'm going to crucify you so Ben, you're muted. We are going to keep uh, ducks with pants here for the um, for the verdicts. But in the meantime, Daniel, you get three questions from your native habitat. So I only have two questions. One is, did Julius Caesar ever contract an STD? Oh, that is tough. I've been asked about STDs many times when talking about um, sexual relations. We know that they must have existed in the ancient world, but many of our, our modern markers on the bones and, and skeletons of um, individuals tell us if they had an STD. There is no written record, and of course we don't actually have the body of Julius Caesar to do any kind of osteological analysis. Um, I think it would be very difficult to, to, this is what ancient medicinal historians do is they kind of work backwards as they go back and they try and like reconstruct kind of anything uh, that might have been implied. But I, I mean, there was uh, nothing I know of says that Julius Caesar um, had a, an STD. We know they existed at the time, but that's not the, the rumor for Julius Caesar, certainly. Um, I think it was much more damning to people in Rome that there was this uh, suggestion that he had slept um, with a, a Eastern monarch because a monarch would be the person that is penetrating you, not uh, the person that is being penetrated. And that's a, a really big thing for Romans is like, who is being penetrated and who is the penetrator because it shows power within the relationship. So Romans aren't as big um, as as Greek society on male on male relationships. Sadly, they have uh, what we might call today um, a, a lot more um, a, a lot more um, anti-gay kind of rhetoric. Uh, but at the same time, I think the implication here is also that the the king himself. Is, in, is so powerful and Caesar is so young, he's only 20 years old, right? That he is essentially the one being penetrated by the king. And to Romans, that means a power differential by someone who is a non-Roman, that's really humiliating. Um, and that's something that, that I think was probably used against Julius Caesar in the Senate um, and, and as, as part of um, his reputation when he came back. Daniel, your next question. So I have a slightly offbeat question, but uh, could you uh, tell your story in reverse chronological order? Tell it in reverse chronological order. Um, well, Caesar is uh, actually going to be um, going out to <laughs> to uh, face these. Well, uh, hold on. Yeah, we want to go from the actual end of the story back to 80 when he actually goes. So we, we have the timeline here from 80 to about 75 here um, when, when he is actually um, getting captured by the, the pirates. And so he has crucified the pirates. He has previously um, actually uh, raised together a fleet and gotten them to be imprisoned. He was actually 
taken captive by these pirates in 75 because he was out previously in the Eastern Mediterranean um, to attach himself to a Roman general with, with a fleet um, and, and legions out uh, in this area of, of Asia Minor. So um, yeah, so I'm, I have never, sorry, I've never told a, a story in reverse going backwards. That's a little confusing, but, but basically, yeah. We we are uh, twenty. We we are going backwards from about the age of twenty five, then to twenty. Um, between these five years, where where he's just hanging out um, in modern day Turkey. <laughs> All right, Genevieve, you have one more question, if memory serves. I do. Were there similar rumors about Octavian um, with the Eastern, like an, an Eastern king type thing, or? my completely misremembering no octavian uh a lot of what surrounds him in terms of sexual promiscuity is that he marries livia when she's pregnant with her second son so octavian um she livia his wife um is uh is pregnant with uh gaius right so we have um we have Tiberius, and then we have uh, we have Gaius, who are the two sons of Livia from her first marriage. That's why Tiberius is his his stepson. And a, a lot of the rumor surrounding um, uh, Octavian is one that he doesn't fight in battles. He makes Agrippa go into battle for him. Um, that essentially he's a coward that hide, hides behind bushes when Mark Antony wants to go uh, into battle. He's like, I'm good. I'm just gonna. Stay here. Um, and then the other big thing uh, that is implied about Octavian is is just that there's something wrong with the fact that he married a woman only a few days or weeks after she divorced her first husband. And and he's a Claudian. He's a uh, her first husband's a Claudian, and Octavian is a Julian. And that's how we get the Julio Claudians together. Is actually because Livia's first husband um, gives gives birth to the second Roman emperor after uh, Augustus, which is Tiberius. So yeah, a lot of the rumors are th really weird about Livia, but also there, there are a lot of um, rumors that surround Livia being the one that is essentially a pimp for <laughs> Octavian, because the at least what Suetonius tells us is that she brings prostitutes and women into the bedroom to take care of to take care of Augustus, um, and that that she's not she does not she's not really there for for the sex, right? She's there for the power. Um, but but yeah, uh, Octavian had a lot of weird. Um, it's not I shouldn't say weird. I don't think it's weird. I think it's just I think that he had a lot of sexual proclivities that Livia was very happy to take care of. That she was like, cool. Is this your fetish? Is this what you enjoy? Then I'm happy to find a courtesan that'll do that because I don't want to. Thank you. And All remember, right. Remember that prostitution is legal. This is not, she's not engaging in illegal behavior mm -hmm. in any way. So. All right. I think we have arrived at verdict time. Uh, so this is the audience. Audience, this is your last chance. Right now we have a first. This is the first time uh, the audience has voted that the uh, storyteller is telling the truth. 63% say that this story is true. Uh, if you want to change your vote, this is the last chance. Um, so let's talk to uh, our two discussants. Ducks with Pants, how do you assess the story? Unmute yourself. So, oh, yeah. All right. So, um, so I'm familiar with the story about Julius Caesar and the pirates and uh, coming back and getting them. Um, the only thing that you know, I, I'm having a little trouble with memory-wise is the geographical location of the pirates, since there are a lot of them floating around the Mediterranean. Yeah, but remember, Cilicia is the is the hot spot. That's where Pompey gets the the Lex Manilia and the Lex Gabinia send Pompey out to Cilicia yeah. pirates. Well, yeah. given I'm also uh, remembering 
vaguely uh, the episode of Xena Warrior Princess, where Xena is one of those pirates that captures Julius Caesar. Um, this is perhaps one of the only aspects of that show I remember. I just, um, I, I, I'm going to say it probably was the Eastern Mediterranean, just uh, given how they would have tied that all together. So that all sounds right. The rest, as far as the reputational stuff and the cuckolding, I mean, if that's not true, then it's a very convincing melange of the typical things you hear about uh, from that time period as far as um, the manipulations and going on behind the scenes. And, um, you know, whether or not it's true could all be confabulations of various types by our ancient sources, which is why I might not give it credence. But, um, if you know, Unless uh, Sarah is merely drawing from uh, various sources to create, like I said, a convincing melange, I, I think it all it all tracks with me as far as what I remember. All right, Daniel, what do you think? Um, I don't have a good sense on this one. My suspicion based on the answer to telling the story in reverse chronological order is that there's a good deal of falsehood in here. So I would go with the, con there might be some true details, but the contour of the story is made up. All right, we have split audience discussants. Um, Kate. Where are you on this? I want to go last. You want to go last? All right. Genevieve, do you want to go next or should I? Sure. Um, so I, I'm going to say that I, I had a bias that this would be true, but I'm going to go against my bias and say it's not true because I just keep thinking about Alexander. And for some reason, I, I don't know why I think that there's something in my head that's like, I thought that was Alexander, but I don't know. And so I'm very confused. So I'm going to say no, just because I'm totally scrambled. I mean, Alexander had very close male friends as well, as, as did Achilles. Mm -hmm. so I'm I'm in full support, I just want to say, of all of these men having a lover. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but but yeah, this is this is uh, something that, that could equally be true of Caesar, but also of Alexander, right? Mm-hmm. Good. All right, so Kate, you want me to go next? All right. I think this story is true. Um, and um, so first of all, there is nothing in it that uh, raised red flags for me. I'm not by any sense, ex in any sense, expert on this period. Um, but um, I did not know the stuff about cuckolding, um, but I think it is interesting that uh, Mr. Phillips purports to have independent knowledge of the story of the pirates. So I think we can take that as a loose corroboration of part of it. Um, I also find the uh, 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 having a youthful affair with some monarchs in Asia Minor, totally plausible. And if I had the opportunity to do that as a 20-something, I certainly would have. Um, and so I can't begrudge Julius Caesar his uh, youthful uh, 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 indiscretions of the sort that uh, cause rumors uh, later in life. So there's nothing uh, in the story that bothers me uh, um, and all of it seems like the kind of power moves that Julius Caesar we know to engage in. Uh, so I would say if this is false, it is a very cleverly put together um, uh, melange. But I'm going to go the other direction from Genevieve and uh, side with the audience. I think this is a true story, at least as true as the ancient sources will allow you to be. Kate, you get the uh, you get the last word on this. I wanted to go last because I have guessed correctly so far every time in this game, which is all of two times. But um, I have a I had a I think that this is mostly a lie. I think that this is 
mostly a lie for a bunch of different reasons. But one of them is because I think that you, as you said, uh, like candidly before, that you are an expert on finding out myths and deciding whether or not they're true. I think that you would have something that was like a myth that seems very believable in some capacity, but is not true in fact, and would be like a perfect thing to bring on this game. Um, but I agree with Ben in Ben's assessment. There is another side in which this is all per a very, very like, well, I think that you did a very well done lie. Um, or, uh, yeah, but there's, and then, yeah. Okay. I'm going to leave it there, but that's my, that's my assessment. Well, I just think everybody is right. Wait, what does that mean? I think it means that what I'm telling you, um, except for the fact that I couldn't look at my notes because I didn't want you guys <laughs> to see that I'm like sitting here with all of my notes from today. It's Cato's sister. Uh, I messed up, not his mom, but it's his sister. But like everything else is told to us by the ancient sources. Everything else exists within Plutarch especially, and I will post all of this to you guys in a second. Oh, so all of I'm it's right from Suetonius. No, I think you are right, because I think that what we have to really realize, and this is a, a moment of the philosophy of history, right, is like there is no truth um, that we can really understand um, and, and no litmus test for reality in the ancient world because we're dependent upon sources from the second century. Suetonius- You're just galaxy brain. But wait a minute. I, but, but, but wait a minute. I just, I specifically clarified this with my question. That, I agree. That this is as true as the ancient sources <laughs> will allow us that, to be. Then Ben, you are right. Like, I think that everybody is correct in their own way, unless you think that nobody ever wrote this down. But this is part of the mythos of Julius Caesar always. And so um, all of the sources that I'm citing, except for a couple of, uh, from Cicero, who also insinuates a, a few of these details, um, are coming from the second century. Plutarch is a Greek historian writing about the life of a man that died 200 years prior. Um, and so I, I just think that all of these details come from ancient sources, but I can't verify any of it. <laughs> okay, that is, that is awesome. I can't, all can't tell you if it's true or not. <laughs> I love this. I love the map. Does this mean I win? Does this I mean don't I know. Does anyone win? Does anyone win? Ben, in make lies it a poll we're all, we're a all winners here on In Lieu of Fun. Make it a poll question. I, my, is my streak still All right. Going? Yeah. Let, wait. Let's, let's see. Uh, um, but who yeah, let's uh, go, going through the, the, the different ones, round. I think is important to. Uh, all right. To who won this round? One is one possibility is everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um uh uh people who said true because it's uh it's, it's in the sources it's written um <laughs> people who said false um because Guys, the sources the you can put it in the poll stop <laughs> undermining me in the chat i'm not oh un I'm it's not us it's the chorus. Oh, yeah. People, um, mm. Ben, so because he <laughs> said as true as the sources allow. In. Yes, I can. Or Kate. What? What's the argument for you, Kate? Because she waffled. Um. No, because everyone wins. Oh, so that's everyone that's, wins. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so all right. So you, yeah, you just have to do everyone wins or the people who wanted the people, uh, the truth or the fake. Okay, I'm, but I'm writing myself in specifically because I because I said something very particular. <laughs> okay, um, Sarah, what were you going mm -hmm. to say about all of the different parts? Oh, I'm just going to put a few of them in the chat so you know where to go to, to find this. Um, but uh, Plutarch is our major source for the pirates. Suetonius um, tells us about the rumors surrounding a um, Eastern monarch and the fact that he was called Regina. I think Bibulus, who was a contemporary of Caesar, calls him Regina. 
And it, and it derives a, a lot of the same slurs that we see hurled at, at people today who identify as, as gay, right? Like you feminize men in order to marginalize them. Um, and so, yeah, that was an actual slur that was thrown at Caesar. And uh, I think this all leads to, to Kate's point that um, when he gets stabbed in 44 on the Ides of March, he did a lot of other things to piss people off but beyond just trying to be king, try, but beyond just possibly aspiring to be um, a rex, a king, um, that, that Caesar had been engaging in mind games and kind of psychological warfare for a long time. Um, and whether he loved Servilia or not, uh, whether he um, actually loved any of these women, I really do think that it was a way of, of politically trying to weaken his opponents. And we can see that, again, people brought up in the chat um, Cleopatra later on. I think Cleopatra did the same thing um, mm -hmm. out of necessity to keep to stay alive, um, but also because sex is a very powerful tool. Um, and I'm not here to judge people in the ways that they use it. That's not how I prefer to use it. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's in the ancient world, it was kind of par for the course. We are going to leave it there. The audience has voted. It looks like a significant 55% uh, majority say the winner is people who said true because it's in the sources or people who said that Sarah wasn't lying because she was uh, there. The material is all in the sources. Uh, Kate, your streak is is over. Um, I believe there is now nobody who has 100% in the spot the lie game. Sarah Bond, you're a great American. <laughs> it's great to see you back on the show. That was an awesome story. Um, it, was a it was a fabulous story. It's and hard. We will be back tomorrow, although I will not be because I will be driving home from the cabin in the woods. But in lieu of fun, we'll be back tomorrow, 22 hours and 58 minutes from now. And until then, Kate? We're not allowed to have fun anymore, but we are allowed to stab cuckold in the back. <laughs> yeah, and we're allowed to humiliate our political rivals by sleeping with the people closest to them and whispering to them about it. And I that mean, we are is, allowed to do that, but I we are allowed it. to do that. It's <laughs> totally, totally legit in our society. We will see.